and welcome to episode one of the Neurodiverse Life podcast, a three-part series that focuses on some of the most fundamental aspects of our lives and the role that neurodiversity plays in each. Neurodiversity is a term that acknowledges the different ways we all think and learn. In other words, it is an understanding of the natural diversity of in our cognition and how we process information day to day. This episode is all around education, an important focus for the neurodiversity community. And with me today is Gavin O'Mara, founder and CEO of FE News, an education news site across the apprenticeship, further education and employability sectors. And Gavin is with me now, hello. Hello Helen, how are you? Thanks so much for uh, inviting us on to this first episode. I really appreciate it, thank you. It's great to have you here, I'm well. You are a neurodiverse individual yourself. What was your experience like in education and how did you discover that you were neurodiverse? Um, I found out I was neurodiverse quite recently, actually. I always had this sort of suspicion, um, but I found out quite recently. Um, school, um, could have had a better time, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I, I had to um, retake like GCSE wise, I had to retake and actually go back into it was then the fifth year shows how old I am now um go back into the fifth year again which was a um, an interesting experience um and then I was told all the way through like this sort of next stage of education that people like you don't go and do redo GCSEs people like you don't go and do A levels and then at university people like you really don't go to university if you know what I mean so it's quite an interesting sort of experience and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to explore what we was doing with FE News is to try to change that for people in the future, if you know what I mean. And uh, we're on a long road to, to do that, but things are really sped up. And it's, you know, the, the, having this conversation is a really good thing. You know, 18 years ago, it wasn't really a conversation that people were having. It was in very select set groups. And I think this is something which this podcast will hopefully help bring to lots of different people, not just in education, but to everybody to be able to help address this and help make change, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's it's a sad story that many neurodiverse individuals have a rough time of it in, in education. And we've spoken um, previously about um, your experiences as a parent to neurodiverse children. Could you talk a bit about what their experiences in education has been like? You know, as you say, things have improved, but, you know, we'd like to think that they've improved significantly in that things are it's much more positive stories so what's what's your experience been like um it's been me i'm like mr tanner whoa at the minute aren't I? <laughs> um, it's been um it, it you'd hope it would have progressed much more and i think what it's highlighted to me a lot actually is, is a lot of cpd needs actually um in in the education community now it's not everyone but it's just been some people if you know what i mean and it's this the whole thing of I've got four children and um, I've got to put my youngest um, through um, ed psych assessment and stuff like that. So I've put my um, older three through actually. Um, and then we're um, the reason for that is not to put labels on people, but to actually be able to help them and understand what their strengths are and where there are sort of areas where they do need help that we can actually give that help and actually have like a document so that this is the areas where you need to have help. So that was our tactic because I didn't have any of that when I was a kid and stuff, you know, and didn't know what was going on at all, you know. Um, but with primary school, um, that 
we had different support in different structures in different ways for, for our kids. Um, and when they were being disruptive, one in particular would, you know, sort of lose faith in, in their sort of teachers after being sort of basically let down. Um, we would sort of go in and help them. Then that's it. They, they sort of, then we'd get the, the regular, like, they're doing this, they're doing that. Um, and also that would then go into into sort of senior schools. We had to move one of our kids from one senior school to another um, because he just wasn't getting the support in there um, that, that he should have done. Um, yeah, like this stuff like be able to um, have different tools and aids to be able to help him. This just wasn't in there. Um, so we, we changed um, secondary school for our eldest. Um, and in the new school, we did have a lot more um, support and aids, but it was just silly things like um like when it was exams particularly like gcse's where he's meant to have additional time there'd be some times when that wasn't given or if he was meant to have someone who was meant to better help with um basically you know reading out questions for him and stuff that they wouldn't have someone or it was someone he hadn't worked with before so they were still quite... expected to go ahead and do the exam yeah, at that exactly. point yeah, yeah. And then uh, at college as well. So when, you know, all of these are in place, there's also, you know, massive sort of reports all put together for, for him before that. I remember he had one exam and um, it was quite a long one. He didn't have the additional aids, didn't have the additional reader support, had nothing, didn't have the additional time. Did the exam. I mean, honestly, he doesn't normally sleep this long usually, um, but he just did a 14 hours straight sleep, come in, said I'm a bit tired, bang, was asleep. That was pretty heartbreaking to be, <laughs> to be honest with you my my um eldest daughter has had a slightly different sort of tale really um and had all the support structures in place it was just different teachers really and like she had um some a read write pen and there was a bunch of these in the school um really really helpful for her at the time but a lot of the teachers that they'd seen before thought it was an ipod um but then because you plug it into your ear and then you you sort of um if you're not anyone's not seen one it's a looks a bit like an ipod to be honest with you and you uh, run it over the, the piece of paper a bit like a highlighter pen and then it reads to you in, in your ear with if you've got a headphone plugged in those are teachers are meant to have been informed about it but always would give her a bit of grief saying why are you listen to an ipod now honestly what kids listen to an ipod these days they'd be off their phone i mean an ipod should really be in a museum nowadays do you know what i mean it's just sort of like how do you um get that across in the end everyone's sort of on board and what i was really proud of with with um i don't name them because it would embarrass them but with my eldest daughter was um everyone else that had these um these read write pens started to use them because it was a bit of a culture that they didn't feel they were able to use them they were given them but they're just in their bag then they started to use them and there was this you know lots of people starting to use that across the school who were given that sort of additional learning support and i think that's quite cool but that's a little bit of a tale of woe still because the the whole sort of fact of that is it should be accepted it, teachers should be informed teachers should be on board do you know what i mean and they should be able to give that additional support really so it's got better that they've got the mm -hmm. tools and they've had the things i've got to get additional time but learners need to be stepping away from being like a parent and putting my work on learners need to have 
support when it's when it's meant to be there do you know what i mean particularly when it's really crunch time like in the gcse exam it should be there you know and because that can rattle i mean it's any sort of thing can knock someone's confidence whoever they are you know when it comes to exams high pressure times i mean learners haven't had to experience this um for a little while if we date this um podcast where we've had like the the pandemic and the such but it's coming on stream again and your yeah, nerves are going to be high again but are those additional learning support needs going to be addressed when it comes to exams when we do have them for real again or is it going to be a bit of a forgotten because everyone's forgotten the flow and i think that's something which should really be in place for people is if they've got additional learning support needs they should being able to to be given and you know and i think that's just really quite interesting and those are my kids obviously don't know how lucky they are um you know no kid ever does but you know doing the job that i do um i can spot this early and be able to get those different um you know additional learning needs um pieces in place so i remember from looking at your um handbook heading around the british dyslexia association you know like 80 percent of all people in school are not diagnosed with dyslexia um that's that's an alarming stat so it makes you think how much has really changed that and this is why this podcast is so important how can we help people how can we help educators how can we help individual learners who just probably don't have a clue what's going on with them everyone's mm-hmm. you know if you're that sort of teenage really all think they've got all sorts of stuff going wrong with them do you know what i mean and like you know parents and employers how do we help everyone to better then be supported around um you know neurodiversity um you know looking at you know cognizance with what you've done with like massive data sets you know one in three and um, apprentices have got um an un a hidden neurodiversity which they probably knew about um but is yeah how can we help make this much more of a conversation where everyone understands even what neurodiversity is um yeah. you know, and it, and, is a, and it is a hard thing because if you asked any sort of educator any teacher or examiner what you know when this stuff does fall through if you kind of go to them and say this isn't good enough or you talk to them about not having the right support they would be you know mortified everyone wants to really help but as you say there are there are gaps there's things that are not happening where they should when they should for different types of people and what they need so where where does that gap lie what is what is the what do you think is is the reason why despite people's good intentions and best efforts, there is still this gap in the education sector. I think a, a big part of it is communication, really. So like, um, if there's there's times, if it depends on the setting, um, so every, you know, every school, every college, every university, um, every training provider is different. Um, but if it's a larger setting, then there's often uh, a specialist unit which is looking after the, the learners that have got neurodiversity. Teachers probably then do a bit of a Passover, or the lecturer or the educator does a bit of a Passover. It's then like an admin issue really, isn't it? So if you're meant to have a scribe booked for an exam, that would sort of go beyond the realm of what a teacher should be sort of arranging, really. Um, and no wonder they feel a bit mortified, but where does it sit? And I think there needs to be like this communication sort of uh, process really, where it's, it's really a, a simple admin error could be sort of something to do that or communication around if someone's got a tool which looks a little bit like they could be you know listening to music in the middle of a lesson which no one should be doing um then it should be communicated and i think it's communication is is key here i think the other thing as well is is cpd 
um, I, um, I mentioned what, what college it was at, but someone who's a, a head of head of year, at, um, no, not head of year, no, head of department, and they were talking with me and one of my kids and saying, well, you know, they've got dyslexia, they've got this guy. They're actually quite clever, aren't they? And it was like, like well, I wonder about the third time of doing that, <laughs> which was like, oh, my life. I actually had so a lot of, you know, I can't believe you're actually saying that. Um, you know, it's got a bit of a CPD issue yeah. <laughs> that you need to address yourself. And I think there's also um, a whole thing around um, continuing professional development for you from right from the very beginning in teacher training, but also um, for those that have been well established in, in their profession. And they're great at what they do, but they just need to think, if you know what I mean, at times as well. But that's also communication, to be honest, because you know, what does that then say to that learner if you're talking over them that actually I think they're a bit thick and that, that's that's not you know good practice and I've had that probably in every school setting that I've had like as a parent um and that's often before they know what I do for a job um and then often after that they change their tact a little bit but it's just a shame that that's maybe I've had bad luck um but I've got four kids um, and it's that sort of different education settings, different ages, different years. And it looks as the years are going on, things are progressing, but no learner should have to go through that or feel that. Yeah, that sort of stuff, which my dad is, um, has got dyslexia, quite acute dyslexia. And when he, you know, he started, he just moved in with us um, and he's 78. So when he was a kid, you can understand how things were a bit different when he was told all sorts of stuff when, when he was younger. But he's incredibly, incredibly, incredibly clever. Yeah, he's a, he, he retired recently and he's a uh, used to be a London taxi driver. You know, to, to do the knowledge, to be able to actually understand where every road is and to be able to then think of the different routes. They've done you know scans of people's brains of that, and it's quite incredible to see. You know what he was told as a as a kid is you know you're stupid, you're this, you're that. Um, it's completely untrue, but he's he's held that for a, a long time in his life, if you know what I mean. And also felt he's the only person that has got this. It's like a a, a sort of burden to to carry. I just hope that we can change that for, for future generations, if you know what I mean, and not have those conversations over over learners where they're there, they're hearing, they're feeling sensitive, they're feeling a bit raw, that they feel a bit different to other people in, in the class. How can we help with that communication piece, really? Yeah, and for sure. And I think you've also been a part of building the communication because you recently co-hosted the podcast series Exploring Neurodiversity, which was tackling these very subjects and kind of breaking down what organisations in further education can do to support neurodiverse learners in practice. And and it was in episode two of the series, it was um, Marina Gay's former FE and skills director, Ofted who said, we still don't respect people's differences and their ability to learn in different ways. I mean, your experience seems to reflect that. And um, I think it was an important conversation to have as part of that series. What was the um, best part of that project for you? Anything that kind of surprised you? Oh, I really loved that project. I thought that, um, you know, we did four, anyone hasn't listened to it, 
honestly, I know I was a part of it, but you, you really should. You know, it was a four-part piece. And I think, um, if anything, it was about to get the different perspectives and, and views. So there was, the first part was with Louise. And um, if anything, what I really enjoyed was actually getting to understand and know Louise a lot more, actually. Because um, um, if anyone out there, Louise Kowalski is, um, she's now um, Director of Education, isn't she, at, at Caucasus? Yeah absolutely just got a real heart for making positive change and to better help people to help learners but also to really help educators but a real heart for this and it was cool to have different sort of experts within this i think for me it was actually working with louise actually was a privilege actually but, you know it's, it's rare to actually say that and actually mean it like i say it and everyone's a bit gushy but it's actually true i really 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 enjoyed it and i think yeah we had different um experts like marina which was all around um yeah quality um being you know ex um ofsted um specialist and what was really what does offset see and experience from all of those different providers that they work with we had carl from rsm who is um he's all around funding and understanding what are those i didn't really understand that there was a barrier to to people not claiming funding for additional learning support because of the fear of, of clawback and what does that mean and it's um interesting um uh, the way that esfa are sort of coming around and exploring things at the moment it just seems like um, it's a very interesting perspective that carl gave which i i didn't know you know i work across the sector but it's, i didn't understand that um, and then we had a real, um, real privilege about it and also talk to practitioners that lived it, if you know what I mean, and like from a CEO perspective, but also from someone who was involved in how to, and that was all about communication, actually, um, which is sort of back to exactly what I talked about earlier, which is quite cool, but they, they were um, very, very much um, around communicating to the team. And supporting learners and i think but to be honest it was work with louise um because she was like you know sort of the constant through it and just then be able to give us advice because i'm not a neurodiversity expert do you know what i mean and it's this sort of really good to then work with different people that really know what they're talking about and also see that passion do you know what i mean so that was the coolest bit for me you probably have a lot more experience than than you give yourself credit for a lot more experience than many educators would have i would say do you think I, well, I suppose having, you know, sort of lived it, but I'm sure there's many other educators as well that have lived it, you know, and want to support people. And there's many other leaders that have lived it, you know, like um, one of the things I've, um, I've got a soft spot for, for Cognizant because I remember meeting Chris at um, uh, AELP, so Association of, of Employment and Learning Providers Conference, really, really hot in June. I was boiling i just carried the whole load of camera kit um from one side of it was in hammersmith one side of hammersmith to the other i was absolutely boiling and a bit sort of um looking a bit hanging to be honest i was sweating everywhere but it was absolutely boiling and chris sort of just i don't met before and this sort of had this really cool chat really liked him you know like just like he had this story he had this you know he had this passion for the sector generally really nice bloke and i've just found that all the way through of just trying to 
what Congress is about is trying to make a difference with with people, but doing that in a nice way, not sort of stick, not sort of being a bit weird about it, around sort of coaching and work, coming alongside people, shoulder to the plough approach. Do you know what I mean? Like we know you want to be able to support your learners. We know that you've got learners that need support. And I think that was just a really cool, um, you know, cool experience. And I think that like with, with Chris, there's many other people that are not quite, quite doing what Chris is doing at all, but have got that passion, do you know what I mean? They've got that experience that they want to make a difference. And I just think it's just the odd um, person which needs to have support. And they probably need to have support, not just in neurodiversity, but in reality, they probably need to have support in lots of things. And it's just like, how do we then not sort of make that as a big critical thing that you need support, um, but how do we come alongside people and, and help them? You know, because they have impacts. If you look at schools, that's 30, 35 like, lives that they're affecting. And what they speak over them is, is really important for the rest of their life. And, mm -hmm. like, you know, and I think some people forget that. You know, we've all experienced it and we've been spoken over of there's going to be this, you know. And it's just like, um, how do we then help people um, not sort of give an award for everything, but how do we help people support people where they need support? Encourage those that are, that are flourishing in certain things to really fly. Those that are struggling, how do we help them to better actually, you know, feel confident and to better move forward? You know, it's just so important. So that's that's what I think would be cool to um, to sort of move forward with, really, and how we can sort of support that. Yeah, for for sure, and. You actually received an incredible response to the series. I saw the record numbers of downloads that you had from what you know you would assume is mostly people working in the education sector. You know, we've talked about the um, the difficulties that people still face in the education sector, and sometimes people not really knowing how to communicate or react. But what what does what do these numbers tell you? Does it does it give you hope? Oh yeah, totally. I mean, honestly, um, we yeah, you can see charts, you can see data on everything. We we like I love I've gone a bit Captain Stato over the last couple of years, to be honest. And like, um, but on these charts, honestly, you could just see because we did a takeover on a day. So it was on a Thursday. We we did um, you know episode one, two, three, four. And you could see this chart just go bang and just so stark compared to the other days as to what was um, what was going on. I think. One, it was um, really encouraging that people were so interested. We come at it from a different angle. We wanted it to be, well, what, how can we help you? What is, because I wanted to, what is the, the challenge with funding? What is the challenge with, with Austin? What is it about? And I think the coming at it from that angle was just made it so it was, the idea was to be inclusive to everyone and to not have experts sort of speaking a lot of jargon that people don't understand, do you know what I mean? And how we can sort of support people. And I think for people to be downloading it, and they still are, um, is is really interesting that the sector shows, A, that they want help, B, are really willing to, to have it, and they want to better to make a difference to, to their learners and to their teams. And I think that's what's fantastic, is that um, there isn't this sort of um, arrogance, I've got this sorted type of thing, that everyone's on a learning journey and everyone wants to continually improve. And I think that's what's really brilliant about the, the sector and is particularly what's been sort of heightened by the pandemic. The pandemic has heightened a lot of things. You know, it's sped up this fourth industrial revolution that we're all experiencing, like speeding up what is the future of education. But it's also sped up this whole approach of everyone needs to come together 
to support each other, you know, because there's there's points in the in the pandemic where no one, you know, politicians, scientists, no one had a clue what was going on. Do you know what I mean? It was all just how can we sort of how can we get through it? How can we sort of move forward? And I think if one thing comes from this pandemic, which has been you know awful for many different things, and I think the shadow of COVID is going to be long, um, with the next stage of not just being the, the horrible health implications with it, but also like the mental health implications with it as well, is if we can all come together as a sector and support each other, support learners, support employers, most importantly support each other to be able to you know, continually improve, then I think that's great. And I think that's one thing that I really took as a positive from um, from that, that series. I loved doing it, do you know what I mean? It was, it was really cool and for me, really interesting because you know, I've, I've got neurodiversity myself and it, and sometimes that can feel a bit hidden. And what was cool with listening to this was there's some things around how can we help learners to better tell employers? How can we help employers understand, you know, how can we overcome gatekeepers in, in employers that like you are around the recruitment process to better show the strengths of, of people? You don't just want groupthink in teams. You don't want groupthink or the same people for every type of role. You need to have some sort of diversity in it. It doesn't mean around this sort of tick in a box is good for a reason, you know, around having different creative thinking, around different ways to approaching problems, around, you know, addressing challenges. You need to have different perspectives and views to be able to do that. And I think if we can all move forward with that, then it's going to help everyone, every individual, every employer. It's going to help UK PLC. It's just, it's just a good thing. And I think um, it was just the, the encouragement of seeing that across the board, really, with, with that series. It was really cool just to meet different people around that. It was, was cool, basically. Yeah, for sure. And in your role as CEO and Head of Digital at FE News, you very much get to see kind of across the board what's happening in the sector when it comes to thought leadership and opinions of, of, of different people in different sectors. Are things changing? Do you think that neurodiversity awareness is is growing and that this is a priority for people? I think it's very, very much changing. I think that it's very much on people's agenda to, to understand. Um, 18 years ago, maybe I wasn't speaking to the right people 18 years ago when we, we launched nearly 18 years ago. Um, maybe 18, I didn't, I didn't know the people to, to be able to speak to. Maybe that was the case because your network grows over time, doesn't it? But I, from what I would see as, as an essence, as I would say, yeah, it's very much changed. Um, I think it's very much around not just specialists talking about it, it's everyone thinking about it. Um, I think is, is most important. How can you support different learners? And I think this makes sense uh, as well. You know, like, um, the, it depends when you're going to listen to this because he, you know, he isn't going to be education secretary forever. Um, but Gavin Williamson, you know, he's talking around a uh, whole thing around discipline in schools for example at the moment and you know lack of mobile phones in schools and i can understand that but if it's a it's an aid to better help someone with neurodiversity that needs to obviously be rethought but if you think about discipline um a, a lot of people's tactics if they want to remove themselves from a situation because they're embarrassed probably because they've got hidden neurodiversity will be they'll often doesn't mean everybody will a lot of people will go very quiet and feel you know go very in but other people will try to get thrown out i did um and it's just like um it, that is a disruptor to the class so how how can we help people remove that so i think it's everything from an education secretary approach is thinking around how can we help 
um, sort of deliver and, and make change. Um, and I think it's just then how we can help come with solutions, not sort of stick and too shouty, but you know, if you thought of this, what is interesting is that the powers that be are actually in like listening mode at the minute because they didn't have a clue over this pandemic what was going on no one did you know and i, I think it's quite interesting that they're in this sort of space um there's obviously a few things a, a change with um different viewpoints and, and views from a particular esfa at the moment they've done a bit of a review on what does it mean around um offering and, and screening for, for support but um, I don't want to date this podcast, but hopefully that will be addressed and, and re-looked at because it was just asking for advice. It is coming up with suggestions, which is actually quite cool. Rather than saying dictatorial, like big Victorian dad, this is what it's going to be. We're thinking this. And then, mm. well, that idea was pretty pants. You know, like you need to be supporting people and this is why you need to probably be doing it more. Not being funny, I think instead of sats at, at school, it should probably be an a. A, a quick screen of how can we help support learners to be able to learn in the future you know how can we support them from very young to then be able to understand what their strengths are areas where they would need help how can we move that forward and i think there's some things around um you know things for the future is, is i think that would be an obvious one you know what's the point really of, of putting someone through that um other than if you could also support them as well um so why not do a screen um to be able to see what what support um different learners need from very early on then you could do that in secondary school then you could do that when they progress into further education then you could do that if they want to progress into higher or they could do it in the employer perspective but i think that's a that's a bit sort of looking to the future and looking and hoping and but i i, I can see that coming um in the sort of next decade it just would be better if it'll be now but it's just you know but you know the baby steps just get there you know we're we're like sort of a planting trees approach aren't we at the moment we sort of you know we might not get to, to sit underneath it and enjoy the shade but we can try to do something which is passed on to learners in the future really so i think that's the sort of space where everyone's at at the moment tree planting mode you know and, and how can we get it <laughs> yeah it's really interesting that you bring up the the learning to learn because i don't as a concept i don't think it's it's kind of very spoken about in education that it's it's not just about you know a sort of banking model of learning like here's some information and give it to you it's how how do we actually learn how do we actually process information and i think this is going to be a really important part of creating effective and flexible education but what, what are your what are your thoughts on that oh i mean it gets to that debate of what is the point of education really so is it to get a job um which you know from some people's perspective is that's what education is all about and I get, I so get that, you know, I, I work in the skill sector, totally get that, do you know what I mean? But I think also it's, you know, um, the whole sort of um, confidence, being able to be, um, you know, you're, stand on your own two feet and be your own unique individual and, and to have, find your place in the world and actually be able to make, help people to have that choice to be able to make a difference or just to be. And I think with um, learning to learn for me, is what happens with someone if they go you know go through school didn't have a great time went straight into work you know went for it but all of a sudden their industry has changed and then they've got to retrain how do we have given those them skills in the first place to then be able to pivot and, and train ideally how do we give people such a really cool learning experience 
all the way through that I just want to continually learn and I want to continually add those skills. I want to continually, not, you know, social mobility is a bit of a funny word because it, uh, for people who live in areas where they sort of, middle-class people basically shine a light on areas where they see this sort of that's the deprived area but there's a community there's a culture there and it doesn't mean that those people that live in those communities and cultures want to move you know because social mobility talks about mobility meaning they want to move out and it isn't that it's around how we can i think it should be around social impact you know and how can we help people be able to have the choice of of um of going for the future roles to be able to go on nicer holidays to be able to buy better things if they want to to be able to support their kids in different ways how can we help equip people to learn to learn to better deliver on that and i think that's this sort of not delivered or thought about in schools because it's a bit of a tick box exercise to be able to get people to get certain grades and people think well, what's the point of me learning this because i'm never going to have this in my life um, and i think it's that there's, there's a disconnect there and i think the the overall you know communication again you know how do we communicate but why learning is important and why you know you need to learn to learn because you know when you're 50 um you know you're still going to want to learn you're still going to want to learn to better do better things you're still going to want to be able to do you know whatever when you're 60 and you've got another five seven years left of your career that's a long time um you know you want to continually learn to better then do those other cool interesting jobs and not sort of be going backwards in in your career and and stuff like that so i think is the whole concept of learning to learn i think is really 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 important and i think it's the communication thing because um if we can help learners have those base levels to, to to understand you know how and what is of interest to them and how they can progress this is really really important to me personally mm. and that ties back to your kind of earlier point that people who don't do well in education kind of have this perception that they're that they're bad at learning that it's that it's their fault that they're their bad experience reflects on them rather than them not being kind of taught in a way that works works for them. And then further down the line, where do they go when they want to maybe change um, whatever sector that they work in? They would like to learn about something completely different. They want to take up either online learning or um, face-to-face learning. They're going to be have an even extra weight on them that they don't know how to deal with and might have lots. It's a lack of confidence, as you say, that we need to lighten that burden on people. I mean, one in five people leave school without basic qualifications. And how does that carry forward for them? And we, we don't want just, we don't want these learners to think that it is their fault, that it's something inherently, um, bad about them because it's not it's about making the environment more flexible and more um more inclusive for different ways of learning there's no good or bad here it's just different yeah 100 percent. and yeah you know, what is weird um it's doing what i do now i was one of those stats do you know what i mean i was the one in five who basically first time around Got, got nothing <laughs> and like um and it was very there was i remember the choice very 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 starting and it wasn't one which um i was encouraged to go back into education it was like people like you don't don't do this you know this you know gavin you know you've got a, i had a part-time job got a part-time job there was a recession at the time you know money's going to be tight everywhere just go with that 
you're good at that just go with that but um you know and it was there was that split second thing you know you often think what if i just did take their advice if you know what i mean and um and did go down that road what would happen then i don't know um i just um a, a bit of my personality if you tell me no i will try to find a way to to do it is, is sort of the, the 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 thing which which helped me there and i was really 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 lucky i was um i grew up in an area with with high unemployment with all of the social trillions that come with that um, but I was really lucky that I had a, um, a really strong family unit and I was told from like tiny, Gavin, if you want to be something, you do it. Do you know what I mean? I was just really lucky that I was just given love. And I think that we can, um, I, a lot of what my decisions on stuff was, I know that I can, I'll be supported by this. And I think um, I was really lucky with that. Really, 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 really uniquely lucky. But how can we help? I want teachers to be saying that to people you know it's a bit weird but like to better ha have that similar support you can do this do you know what i mean you you are going to be able to do whatever you want to be able to do we just need to be able to help you equip you to be able to get there and i think that's just something which i had as a unique sort of base point um but i think how can we then maybe weave that in not go all soft and you know and whatever and everyone gets an award for everything i, I personally think that's a bit weird um but like how can we support people to know that you know encourage them to be speaking positivity over them to be able to to say you know even those that are really struggling um that you know come on you you, you can come into this and i was lucky with some stuff with that with like sport um with other things i had a couple of different teachers were like you know come on go you can you can do this here and sort of um took you underneath their wing and it's just like and that's above and beyond what they they did um i was put on stuff like i don't even know now i understand what it was i was put on stuff where i was um took out of school on a wednesday afternoon and sent sailing basically with all of the truant kids and there was a couple of us that actually went to school and the rest were all truant kids um and it was just to try to help us work in teams to be able to help us um be able to you know find a skill and be good at something because sailing on a on a reservoir in north london is it's, it's quite good fun on a wednesday and i was meant to be in geography do you know what I mean? um but i saw i understand why i'm here now i understand why i was there but like it's how can we help people in different ways to learn to learn to work in teams to be able to feel encouraged that you know you didn't even know how to get on a, a little dinghy before i put a sail up now look at you do you know what i mean and those little sort of steps you know with like say sport i was really lucky in in, in sport i worked with some really you know, people made it to the premiership and stuff i was incredibly lucky um but just able to see like different encouraging things through sport like look what you guys can do now you know look look at this and i mean it's just those little things i don't think people know how much of an impact that can make on people and i think that's something we need to better they're learning experiences you know, most people wouldn't think learning to sound is a, is a learning experience from a kid who grew up on a council house in north london i never would have thought i'd be in a dinghy do you know what i mean in my life um but like you know it's you know how did that sort of help me help me massively and i think is how can we sort of bring in different diverse curriculum for people not singling them out but to encourage them to better move and progress into different areas to know that they can learn and that you know come on you can do this you know i think um would be really really key for people for all of their life not just in school mm. and just to go back to what you were saying before about um gavin williamson um he was the one who proposed the behavioral hubs <clears throat> And there was a lot of outcry at the time from the neurodiverse community that 
a lot of the small sort of uh, disruptive behaviors in a class that would kind of almost be punishable because it's sort of, you know, outbursts of giggling or um, lack of attention. These are, you, they're quite clearly connected to some neurodiverse traits as well. Okay. And it was, it seemed like a very unhelpful suggestion. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think it's just, hey, sometimes you can put different learners on, on the spot as well. So um, for, just go for a personal experience. Um, I couldn't read out in, in class, particularly in front of people. So I would, but I would just make stuff up. I mean, literally, I'd have teachers say, I think you're reading a different story to us, Gavin, because you just sort of make, it actually sounds really quite cool. It's starting off to go down like a, um, a creative writing sort of route, actually. So in a way, they encouraged me. Cheers for that. Um, but like, um, well, he said his name then. Um, but like, um, it's... It's something which was sort of basically they were trying to ridicule you a bit. And I think, like like you say, with different neurodiversity um, elements, or particularly put people under stress, is that, you know, giggling or shouting out or um, not sitting still and very stiff, being a bit Victorian dad sort of approach doesn't really work. Um, so I think there's, I 100% agree. I think there needs to be different approaches to how we can sort of address and, and encourage people to move sort of forward. Um, I think not everyone learns the same. Um, I think, I don't think there's anyone, we're not robots, you know, um, and I think this is the whole thing around, um, but the interesting fact is that robots and AI, you know, we use AI in our, in our work all the time, we use automation in our work all the time, um, and that's growing and what we're doing is growing certain things which they try to make people in education be a bit robotic about not being funny a computer and ai is going to be able to do it better than a human but what isn't going to be sort of taught very quickly by ai is creative um you know you know different perspectives and views and opinions and, and to addressing solutions in a different way and i think that's something we should really be you know heavily 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 encouraged and it's just like um that doesn't come from groupthink um groupthink is it's a bit weird. Um, I think you, know, you need to have more diverse views and more diverse perspectives. Um, and to, to do that, you, we need to encourage that more. And if we encourage that in, in education perspectives, we can encourage that of employers. If we encourage that of employers, then it sort of it completes the cycle um, a lot more for, for people. We encourage that in community, encourage that in government. Um, then if we've got more diverse ways of looking at things, the more solutions we're going to fulfil more quickly. You know, it's interesting that the UK productivity is pretty pants. Um, is it because we've gone down a bit of a groupthink approach of, of, of recruiting similar people for similar roles? Why don't we address things in a different way and have different lateral ways of sort of thinking or, or sort of different people with a different opinion or different life experience or a different way their brain works to better address a, a problem or challenge and I think that is something that should be encouraged not trying to make everyone go into being like robot mode because not being funny we ain't going to beat the robots on that um that's something which they're going to beat us on um you know is, is the is the fact of it you know we we need to be able to be there's a term I heard called cobots how we work alongside bots and automation and I think that's something which the, the education of the future needs to be looking at how do we work alongside you know different tools which help us address things absolutely well thank you for joining me Gavin it's been 
wonderful to talk to you and hear your experiences. So thank you so much for sharing those. And um, before we go, are you ready for a few quick fire questions? Oh yeah, let's go for it. <laughs> Alrighty. So how do you think people generally see neurodiversity? Um, you want a quick fire answer, but I think it depends who you speak to. So if you're talking to um, like um, someone in their, you know, retirement age plus is probably they would think i don't know what neurodiversity is but if you say something like dyslexia they'll understand what that is um so i think it's a term which people don't understand what i think is really cool is that younger learners do have a really good perspective and understanding what neurodiversity is um but i think it all depends who you speak to i think the highlights need to be more conversations about what is neurodiversity how would you like to see the conversation around neurodiversity change uh, I think um, for it to not just be set groups and educators or specialists, but for everyone to understand what neurodiversity is um, and for it then to be these are the strengths of neurodiversity. This is why we need to be embracing and um, and actually encouraging people to understand what neurodiversity is and don't hide it. Let's just be open about it. What piece of advice would you give to those of us who are neurodiverse? Um, I would... Depends again who you're speaking to, if they, they know or not. But I would say um, is to really see it as a strength. Um, how does it help you with um, your, I don't want to say superpower, that sounds so cliche, do you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't give you a cape, do you know what I mean? But like, um, it's how is um, your mind and the way that you look at things, how does that help you and make you unique? So like your neurodiversity makes you unique. Being unique is cool. No one wants to be the same as everyone else. You know, we, we want to better be stand out and unique and your neurodiversity in your brain is unique and everyone is unique. And it's just like, what is your, what is your uniqueness? What makes you cool? And I think that's something which you need to be sort of looking at. Would be my advice. When it comes to embracing neurodiversity, what's the one area you would like to see people do better at? Um, communicate. That's a quick follow-up, wasn't it? Well, I'm get <laughs> <laughs> what's your favourite thing about your mind and how you think? Um, I've got I've got several um, neurodiversities actually, um, and uh, it's, it's it's one thing is quite cool is. Um, is to be able to take a big picture um, and be able to understand for work. That's fantastic to be able to take all the different parts and take it. It's also quite cool from with a family of four kids to how to pack a car for holidays. Um, is that I'm epic at it. Do you know what I mean? That's like my, my my skill. But it also helps with work to be able to then you know see how to add all of these different things together and what makes. How do you fill the car boot with all of these cool things? Is exactly the same for education, for work, and everything. You know, it's just how do you step back? That's the way my brain sort of works, really. I love that. Who is your neurodiverse hero? Um, I had a, I, I had a think about this when we were talking about um, doing this this podcast. Is actually. Um, Edison, um, you had a guy who invented lots of stuff like light bulbs and, um, you know, helped telegraph, be able to move into being a bit more like computer-ish or text. But I think it's his mum, I, I think was a bit of a hero because there's a story about the letter that he received from from school and she read it out. I don't know if it's, this letter exists or if it's a myth, but the story is beautiful around how she homeschooled him. And without her, literally, we wouldn't have any light bulb moments. So Edison's mum, big shout out to her. Nice. What does neurodiversity mean to you? Um, I think it means unique. 
I think it means that you've got um, really interesting ways to be able to then look and, and address uh, challenges. Um, the thing is, how unique is it really if one in three people have got a, a hidden neurodiversity when they get to an apprenticeship level? Um, and I think it's just uh, stepping outside of the box for me is, is you know, diversity in like a really quite, when I say stepping out of the box, it's always a good thing. So I think um, it's just, how do you think differently? I don't want to speak to someone that thinks the same as everyone else. I want to be able to hear different ideas and perspectives. And I'm sure I'm not alone with that. Yeah, there's, I mean, it's much more common than people think, but there was a really great quote from um, the author, David Mitchell, in a recent interview that he said, if you've met one person with, he was talking particularly about autism. So he said, if you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. You know, it's this very, it's very, lots of people share a, um, share these commonalities of being neurodiverse, but the actual reality of it, of it is that every single one of it affects everyone in different ways. Yeah, and that's what makes us all unique, isn't it, really? And I think that's the cool thing about um, about people, isn't it? You know, we're not all the same. You know, it's everyone's got a different story. Everyone's got a different background. Everyone's got a different strength. It's got a different weakness, you know, and it's just, that's just what makes people cool at the end of the day. Well, a great place to end it on. Thank you so much to Gavin O'Mara, founder and CEO at FE News. You can join me for episode two, where I'll be talking to author and neurodiversity advocate Theo Smith about neurodiversity at work, both the topic of the podcast and also the title of his new book, written in collaboration with Dr. Amanda Kirby. So thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.